Chapter Eight of Douglas Duane. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Douglas Duane by Edgar Fawcett. Chapter Eight. When I again met Demotte and Millicent, each was far from suspecting the agony through which I had passed. On this occasion, I dined with them in the Second Avenue house. That evening, Demotte was called away from home. If I mistake not, to meet both for welcome and farewell some old college friends who were on their way to Europe from the West. As he bade me good night and begged that I would excuse him for just this once, I could clearly detect in his face the disinclination which he felt to leave me at all but he felt no shadow of disinclination to leave me alone with his wife. Millicent is to be more fortunate than myself tonight, he said, glancing toward her, with my hand still clasped in his own. She is to enjoy your unshared society. Pray, don't go too soon, Douglas. Millicent likes above all things to talk with you. These words, meant in the most careless geniality, stabbed me. Millicent, on her own side, answered them by an amiable little smile and nod. She was evidently not in the least embarrassed. Oh, blended mockery and absurdity, I thought. Here was Floyd Demotte, whose ridiculous jealousy of his wife had almost turned him into her jailer, showing his entire willingness that I, I, the man who measurelessly loved her, should pass three or four hours in her company while he himself was absent. "'I have some new music,' said Millicent, as soon as her husband had gone. She went to the piano and began tossing about for some of the loose sheets of music that lay there. She was not an accomplished artist, perhaps, but her father had known what good instruction meant and had procured it for her. Apart from this, there was a tender poetic spontaneity in her playing, which had won me, it was like her own sweet womanliness put into audible harmonies. "'I know that my strumming never bores you,' she went on, lightly, when she sought one of the compositions to which she had referred. "'You once told me so, although you may have forgotten the careless compliment.' "'I haven't forgotten telling you so,' I answered, speaking with that affectation of gaiety which I had found the most capable concealment, when near her, for grave and dangerous disclosures. "'But I didn't use the word strumming.' That's a coinage from the mint of your own modesty. She half turned toward me, smiling. She had found the sheet she wanted and had drawn it from the others. A soft lamp struck her profile, showing the pearly curve of one cheek and bringing into winsome relief the tiny salience of one dark upward eyelash. Shall I play this, then? she asked. By all means, play it. She seated herself at the piano immediately, as if with a childish pleasure in my sanction. "'It is so new, and yet so touching,' she exclaimed, while she opened the pages and spread them out on the rack before her. "'There's a gleam of Chopin in it, now and then, and of Schubert, too. You'll see what I mean, I'm sure.' Then she peered to the initial leaf, and shook her head with humorous despair. "'I can't pronounce the composer's name. It's made of a very Russian-looking mob of consonants.' "'but there's nothing harsh in this lovely pensée fugitive, as he calls it. "'I know you'll agree with me.' "'She at once commenced to play, "'and with a taste and elegance for which all her previous performances had ill-prepared me. 
the melody was fine and forcible in its grasp and finish if i am not wrong the composer of it has since won a secure fame but after some really brilliant execution millicent surprised me by a most delicate suavity and dreaminess of treatment the theme had become one of longing and of cogent yet subdued fervour she gave every sign of being equal to the remarkable meaning which the notes now conveyed i had not imagined that she could play so well the work had clearly taken hold of her as none other which i had heard her strive to express i rose in a real enthusiasm as she approached what i knew to be the end of the whole delicious little idea as she was striking the last minor chords i approached her full of the warm praise which she had roused in me but suddenly her fingers wrought a clash of discords on the keys she turned her face toward mine very rapidly and then withdrew it from my sight but in that brief glimpse i had seen that she was unwontedly pale and that tears were streaming from her eyes instantly i hurried toward her what is it i exclaimed are you unwell what does this mean nothing nothing she faltered the next minute she had risen and had hurried away from me i thought she was about to quit the room but instead of doing so she sank into one of the chairs yards away from where i was now standing a little later i heard from her a sound of weeping and saw that she was pressing a handkerchief to her face with the plain suggestion of hard struggle against a rush of almost unconquerable emotion my heart began to beat i felt myself growing dizzy the control which i knew it would be madness for me to lose threatened desertion loving this woman as i did it was unmanning pain for me to see her suffer and yet offer her no tribute of sympathy but sympathy with me might foretoken a passionate disarray an abandonment of prudence which i would hereafter regret unspeakably what should i do my blood was tingling in my veins i saw that to remain where i was would be impossible should i fly from the room by a door close at hand thus gaining the outer hall and thence leaving the house but very soon a great change took place in millicent she had mastered her agitation she rose from the chair and slowly approached me she was still pale but her tears had ceased to flow you must think me wretchedly foolish she said as she came up to my side again you surprised me a little that was all i replied was it the music yes what else could it have been it was the music and what it seemed to desire and that made you think of yourself yes it expressed just my own dissatisfaction i suppose that is the right word i don't mean unhappiness i'm not unhappy why should i be floyd is the very soul of devotion and kindness and yet she paused and gave a heavy sigh sweeping my face wistfully with her luminous blue eyes you are discontented then i said only that and you know why am i wrong here in asserting that you really do know why she shook her head no i can't help knowing why it is being kept forever from seeing people as he keeps me it is feeling that i'm almost like one of those eastern women except that my seraglio doesn't overlook palms and lemon groves it commands a prospect of second avenue now that you have chosen to speak of this matter i said you make it possible for me in turn to talk upon it you have noticed then she exclaimed with a kind of eager sadness good heavens mrs demotte i am not blind she laid one hand on my arm 
why do you call me by that tiresomely ceremonious name she asked i've told you i did not like it from the lips of a friend such as you are to both of us and floyd has told you he would much prefer you to call me millicent well millicent i said thanks and so you have noticed how he behaves of course you must do you know it seems to me like a disease with him this perpetual dread of my giving a word or a smile to any one besides himself if he were not so mild-natured i should grow frightened about it all i should feel like one of bluebeard's wives the last one i mean that he hadn't yet murdered oh it's horrible is it not for me to say anything so hard of poor fond floyd even in jest you must have seen too how i've appeared to bear it all quite uncomplainingly i have seen that and with astonishment why with astonishment she questioned drawing back from me a little and giving her tones an almost hurt inflection is not floyd my dear chosen husband ought i to complain if it were dealing him distress for me to complain yes i returned you ought that is my frank answer to a direct question submission with every worthy wife should have its limits in self-respect floyd truly insults you by the life he forces you to live she gave a little dismayed cry how can it be insult if it only comes from his love i smiled bitterly love can be as harsh a tyrant as ever hate was she clasped her hands together and held them thus the troubled restless movement of her eyes bespoke some earnest self-inquiry of perhaps a new sort then at length she gave a little start and looked at me very searchingly indeed tell me douglas do you think i should take some definite step do you think i should make it clear to floyd that he is not using me fairly as his wife i think so was my answer either you will lay up for both your husband and yourself an afterlife of great unhappiness or you will now with promptness and decision claim your natural and proper rights i need not define to you what i believe these are you have shown me that you perfectly understand them still if you wish to use my own disapproval of his course in supporting and defending your protest i fully grant you the liberty to do so no no she said swiftly and with some excitement in her vetoing sentences i would not for the world have him even fancy that you had thus advised me whatever effort i may make had far better seem to him born entirely of my regret and sorrow at this unfortunate defect i find in him as indeed it should be and will be her look glittered tearfully again for a second or two as it met mine but she drove back the impulse to reveal further weakness in my presence though her lips had a tremor now and i could not misconstrue no no douglas he is so fond of you i should be sorry enough if he ever broke with you you are all that binds him to his fellow-men i don't know of any one else whom he cares for whom he even does more than tolerate except yourself i think i know of one i said with dryness in which i was sure she would detect nothing but a grim drollery and she did detect nothing else ah you mean me she cried softly of course yes but i am too much to him that is what i want to change i don't imply that i would have him care for me any less than he does now you would be miserable if he did she smiled in a sweet arch defiant way that was a declaration of her unshaken loyalty you understand that i would she said you have seen us so often together oh yes i don't doubt it she kept silent drooping her eyes 
then suddenly she lifted them to mine if i could only prevail upon you to do a certain thing she murmured prevail upon me i repeated to do what to come and live with us she gave a little nervous laugh and leaned toward me oh it would be so pleasant floyd wants it i am certain that he wants it more than you dream the house is small but then we could amply accommodate you here you should have the whole third story for all those mysterious scientific performances which you go through and i am sure or at least i am nearly sure douglas that the effect of your presence here would be beneficial to floyd as regards this odd fanciful prejudice that has taken hold of him and i should be so glad if you would come now will you promise me to think it over before you refuse she stretched out one hand toward me and there was a half playful supplication in her look at that moment it seemed to me as if i both loved and hated her i cannot recall just how i received this most unforeseen proposition for some little time as well i recall i could not divest myself of the idea that she was using me with a calculated premeditated cruelty and yet in my soul i knew that this was the worst of egotistic delusions it has been asserted more than once that no man was ever yet in love with a woman unless the woman somehow knew it but millicent demotte never vaguely dreamed it of me she had been reared in too complete an isolation from those girlish experiences which are the formative customs and usages of her sex her vanity was an unstirred deep if it ever really existed in all women i believe that it is merely the incident of an imposed education acting upon their feminine recipiency of temperament women are by nature no vainer than men our faulty modes of education alone make them so the piano was close at my side with its disordered heap of music sheets i turned toward these and moved them to and fro just as millicent herself had done a short while previously through my pained heart rushed the realization of how cold she must be pronouncing me but i could not answer her just yet i had the strong secret agitation to get well within bonds before i did so and presently i said knowing all this time that she had been watching intently my averted face you ask that i shall think your proposition over before i refuse it but you don't refer to your own kindness in making it ah i heard her but did not see her exclaim you will accept it then i i will think it over i answered trying not stupidly to stammer the words i see you refuse i turned toward her i had now gained mastery over myself and i was by no means certain how long it might last all that i can tell you just at this time i said is that i will think it over there are reasons practical reasons why i should do so she looked at me with her beautiful eyes widely opened in what a solemn voice you say that you're not going i had taken her hand shaken it and then moved away toward the nearest door yes i must go i have some business letters that i can't delay till tomorrow shall you adopt that new plan with floyd you know to what i allude yes she said when i had got out into the street a few minutes later i questioned myself as to whether i had shown any piteous awkwardness in my exit from the drawing-room no i soon concluded my nerves had befriended me i had somehow managed to play no fool's part i had made it appear as if those business letters were truly substantial claimants upon the rest of my evening 
Live in that house, I thought, as I walked along through the lamp-lit quietude of Second Avenue. What might happen now if I were mad enough to really go and live there? End of chapter 8